You know, I like it when children feel comfortable, like to take off their shoes and walk around in church. In that case, I think she had her wellies on when she came, or her boots. Kids love boots. One of the things about having children, not necessarily high school students, but younger children out of the sermon, is that you can speak more directly and unfold parts of the passages in ways that you might not do that because of the sensitivity of having children present. In my opening remarks, what I want to say is that, that for a pastor, this is a very scary passage. Because Christ calls pastors shepherds. And here he is saying that I am the good shepherd who lays down his life. Now, it was a a movement in the United States that, that never really went anywhere because it was so against Christ's principles of what shepherds should be. This was in an age when, maybe five years ago, seven years ago, when technology was just such that round bobble. And it was as if technology was going to take over the pastoral function and that, that pastors needed to think of themselves more like in the American West where they would drive herds of cattle rather than shepherd sheep because it's two different images. You're driving the cattle to market and the shepherding you're caring for them. Jesus reminds us about the shepherd calling them by name and one of the things that I notice as I drive around and I see the sheep is more often than not, the shepherd has been replaced by fences. Whether they're old fences made of stone or whether they're new fences made of wire, that oftentimes, because it's not an open field, the sheep are contained rather than by the voice of the shepherd, but it's contained by a wall. And so in some ways it is very different. Now the part that sombers me the most. And I have been battling this image all morning in my own heart. When Jesus says, and we'll get into this more later, but I'm just telling you about how it affects me, of laying down your life, Because for six months, I was a hospital chaplain in Balad, Iraq. And I witnessed people laying down their lives for their countries, for the freedom of strangers. Those graphic images, and then again watching people lay down their lives in Afghanistan. Being with people when they're dying. Now, I have no idea what your connection with death and wars and things like that are. I tell the story that one time I was using an illustration and I said, have you ever felt like you had no control over your life? And I saw this older gentleman, tears just came down his eyes from his cheek, on his cheeks. He says, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden I was a young 20-year-old 
radio operator in a B-25 over our second run over France, and we were getting shot up, and you just sit there, and you wait, and you have no control over your life. And so I have learned that no matter what I might think and how carefully I might choose my words and my illustrations, touching the hearts and the lives about their experiences or their parents or grandparents or the stories that are there. But when Christ is getting us ready for the crucifixion, and here we are at I am number four, kind of in the middle. And he says, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life. Now, why does he do it? He lays down his life for us because the Father loves the Son and thus loves us, his sheep. When you look at verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my father. You see, in a story, in a narrative like this, in the text, we can go very quickly over the words, over the images, over the idea. And forget what the reality was of, of the suffering and the pain. Because as we tell stories, as we read passages, as we go over and over again, they become familiar and they lose their impact. Imagine being someone anywhere in the world. And they hear this for the first time. This is the Jesus you're inviting people to come and accept as your Lord and Savior, as part of the triune God, as part of Christianity. And he says to the people, I do this because the Father willed it. It was part of his plan. Jesus knew that the Father had sent him the whole incarnation was about his ability to be a sacrifice on our behalf. And we cannot soften up, sweeten up, romanticize the cross and what it meant in terms of Jesus' body. But as he came to do the Father's will, he wants us to know that he is laying it down. It's not being taken from him. That he is choosing to lay down his life and that he's going to choose to take it up again. It's his choice to die. Now I know that the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines that die in war make choices. Everybody wants 
20 years plus. They don't want to be the one who dies. But yet, when you go to war, when you're willing to stand up and be a sacrifice for your nation, for your neighbor, you don't know what is going to come. But see, that's what's different about Christ. He knew. He knew and did not turn away. And in maybe this soft, quiet illustration of, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, because the Father sends me, he is getting them ready for the brutal execution on the cross. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. See, God is the initiator. God is the one who reaches out. Just as God reached out to Adam and Eve in the garden when they tried to hide themselves, when they knew that because they had eaten the apple, they had listened to the voice of the serpent, but yet God came to find them, just as God comes to find us, because Christ laid down his life because the Father loved the Son and sent him. In this passage, five times, in 11, 14, 15, and 17, two times, he uses the word that he's laying down his life. It's like in this compact piece of a speech. He is driving home what he is here to do. To lay down his life. That he is a volunteer, that he is a substitution, and that he is self-initiating. He is here to offer himself. Now, there's going to be opposition. There are, you know, the wolves, thieves, the robbers, those who would come and benefit from the sheep rather than serve and care for the sheep. But this idea that he gives us five times in this short passage about laying down his life as a voluntary substitution for us in the face of opposition is something that I hope will grow deep into your hearts of his love for us. That he came to do things. Now, I hope that you get to meet all three of my daughters. They're wonderful women. They will bring their son, my son-in-laws and grandchildren. But part of our relationship with my daughters is something that I hope is unique. In that I performed either saving their lives in the water or Heimlich Maneuver or things like that, that they can still remember. That I was the guy who was there. That I reached out to my daughters and saved them. And they remember that. 
See, that's part of what we're getting to do next week when we participate in the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us as a good shepherd. Says, do this in remembrance of me. And part of what I hope comes out of the seven sermons are seven images that can come into your mind when you partake of the Lord's Supper, when you are told, do this in remembrance of me, that you will remember and focus on one of the I am's maybe. There are other places that you can go to. But yet, do you come with the anticipation of remembering what Jesus has done? What I shared in the children's sermon from verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One of the things that saddens me tremendously is in the United States that politics is splitting up the church. That they don't see the one shepherd. They don't see the one flock. They see a red and a blue one. They see other colors. They don't see through Christ to see the sheep. They see their political philosophies and usually... What that means to me as a pastor, it means they see their self-interest in a lot of ways that it can't be expressed. So when we teach young people that I have other sheep that are not of this fold, because sometimes we can grow up thinking that, that Christianity is just for people that look and talk and sound like me. But notice what he says. I must bring them also. Now how is he going to do that? Well, Matthew 28, you know, when he sends us out to make disciples of the world, the global community, that is part of him bringing them in. But notice what we all share there in verse 16. They will listen to my voice. This is something that in this passage last week and this week that is just so important that our identification with Jesus Christ, the one who lays down his life for us, is that we listen to his voice. We listen to the shepherd as the shepherd calls us, as the shepherd guides us. We listen. See, the other sheep are going to listen. See, you see that as an identifying mark that it's not that they look and talk like me, but they listen to the same shepherd. That's what we need to understand is not my flock, it's his flock. He's the one who laid down his life. He's the one who spoke, who went and says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Now, as a pastor, as one who preaches on a weekly basis here among you, that is a great responsibility because I want you to hear the voice of Jesus, not just the voice of Fred. 
I want you to hear Jesus' voice. Now, you go back to verse 8, and what do you see happening? The robbers, the bad guys, come to steal the sheep, but what happens? They, their identifying mark is, they don't listen to the bad guys, the robbers, the thieves, the wolves, because it's not the voice of Jesus. That as we listen, we need to be able to differentiate between the voice of Christ and the voice of those who would harm us. But that idea of one flock and one shepherd is still something that, even in a global world where we, you know, we've got the internet, we've got all kinds of things. I read papers from China and India and parts of Africa and South America. You know, I can know what's going on, but I can't be there. You see, the flock is personal. It's, it's sheep up against sheep. It's, you know... Celeste and I went to Portree and we're driving along and I have learned that every so often not all the sheep are behind the fence. (laughs) And we literally came along where there were three lambs who had decided to take a nap right outside the white line. Because after all, it's, it's their pasture. And there was no one there to say, you know, get away. One flock, one shepherd, because there's one shepherd who laid down his life. And so one of the identifying marks of us as a Christian community is that first we accept that Christ has died for our sins, that we are sinners in need of salvation. And the second mark is that we are people who will listen, who will listen to the one shepherd. Now, last week I talked a little bit about it. I want to talk about a little more about listening. Now, part of today is just listening and letting verse 11, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's Jesus' words. That's him describing who he is and why he came. And to listen to that throughout the week, to let that be part of what you are hearing and with all the things that are there in your life, with all the distractions, all the, the noise, But to remember that the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Something we can't do. See, we're trained to be consumers. We're trained to buy things. We're trained for other things, but... You know, when you look at where people spend their time, sometimes... But we need to be people who are willing to commit to taking the time to listen. Whether it's starting out reading the Bible five minutes a day or 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day. Whether it's willing to then meditate, to chew, to think through what you have read before you pray. Because 
you will hear me, and I'll, I, I may have a special thing on it, but meditation is the bridge, chewing on the word of God is the bridge to a good time of prayer. Because the word of God is then forming your heart and your desires and what you're thinking about. So if you go into your prayer time with the idea that Jesus laid down his life, that he was a sacrifice, I think that's going to change my prayer list. It's not going to look like a shopping list. How can I give myself to my neighbor, to my family, to my wife, to my children and grandchildren, son-in-laws? How can I be a sacrificial person? How can I be a sacrificial pastor? Now, sometimes when you're a pastor, you have to tell people that if you keep going, you're going to go off the cliff. You may not want to hear that, but you'll hear it from me. Because I want what is good for you. I want you to listen to Christ. Now, I hopefully will never get in your way of listening to Jesus Christ. That I will be one who will point you, encourage you, train you, teach you, give you the resources to listen to him. So that one of the marks of this congregation will be people who listen to God on a daily basis. People who bring God into the moment by moment through remembering and hearing the word of God. So I will end just by saying it again, letting you listen to Jesus' words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let us pray. Father, give us hearts and minds Give us a will to listen to your word, to hear you tell us who you are, not to make things up, not to be creative, but to listen. To listen to you so that we know that we are your sheep. Because what Christ tells us is that my sheep hear my voice. So I pray that all of us might cherish that opportunity to hear the voice of Jesus. It's in his name we pray.